With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandsLots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blog Talk Radio. Firefly Willows L.I.V.E. presents Revolution, featuring your host, Heisey Lutner. Welcome to the show. Thank you for listening to Revolution today. It's my pleasure to welcome you as a listener. My name is Heisey, and I am your host. And as always, we start off our show with a roundtable discussion. And the topic that I chose for this roundtable today, actually, I wanted to tie into my guest, Ellen Lorenzi Prince, who I'll be talking with a bit later in the show. Uh, She's going to be talking with us um, about her work around the Dark Goddess, but also around uh, the Crone. Uh, She has a tarot deck called the Tarot of the Crone, which interestingly she created when she was relatively young in comparison to what the age is for when we think of people becoming a crone. And I wanted to tie into that a little bit um, with my guests for the round table today, which is Mildred Lynn McDonald. Hello. And Kathleen McNeil. Hello. Thank you for joining me. And Mildred, you of course will know, who is a host of Healing Conversations here on Firefly Willows L-I-V-E. And Kathleen McNeil, would you like to tell us a little bit about what you do and where you're from? I am from Sydney, Cape Breton, Nova Scotia. And I guess I would say I'm an energy worker. I am a Reiki master. Thank you for joining us and for being a a guest roundtable participant today. So the first question I would like to put out to you is, I just used the word crone, and I think there's a lot of thoughts, a lot of perceptions, a lot of judgment around what that word means. So I'm curious when you hear that word, what it is that it evokes in you or what arises in you and how you respond to the word crone. Hi, see, this is a great topic because Kathleen and I, about four or maybe five years ago, talked about the word crone. And the one thing we both agreed on was in no way did we ever want to become a crone. We both went yuck. (laughs) And what I did before our round table is I thought to myself, I wonder where the word crone comes from. So I went and Googled the word crone, and it comes from Middle English. It's a term of abuse from... Anglo-Saxon French or Anglo-French and it means, now get this, it means dead flesh. And the first known use of the word crone was from the 14th century. So I would say when Kathleen and I had the knee-jerk reaction of saying yuck, it must have came from 
this particular feeling around this description. And of course, in fairy tales, crones are usually old women and they're often mean. Yes, with very long nose and... With a ward on it. With a ward on it and, you know, humped over with a, with a, you know, something over their head. It didn't conjure up a nice person when we uh, mention it. And did not capture our natural beauty, Kathleen. <laughs> no, it certainly didn't. We just, as Mildred said, we just knew we didn't want to be one. So, you know, I think that that word has been reappropriated in certain communities, especially in the early 20th century um, in a book called The White Goddess. And it is often now related to the idea of maiden mother crone, representing the three stages roughly of a woman's life. Um, sometimes people will throw in a fourth now and say maiden mother queen and crone. And it, it's in, in many communities, it's seen as a word that simply represents the older wise woman. So it would be like that older woman in the community that you would go to for advice or for guidance. Or sometimes it was the medicine woman that you would go to for that herbal concoction for something that you were needing it for. And I think it also has gotten kind of transposed into being thought of as another word for witch, uh, because that image you just gave is oftentimes the image you see, especially like around Halloween and stuff, of, of the witch, you know, with the green skin, the long nose, the warts, and all of those kind of things. But, you know, it's interesting, like one of the things you said, Mildred, was, it certainly doesn't reflect the, the, the beauty of you and Kathleen. Um, so if, if we're talking more broadly around the idea of aging, then there is that sense that it starts to become a perception that aging means that we lose beauty and that the older that we become, the less beautiful we are. And, and nowadays, I think in our society, that gets shoved away more and more, you know, I would almost say that we've mythologized the idea of youth. And so I'm wondering if you feel that is is beauty related to youth? Therefore, if crone is this idea of the older woman and the ugly woman, then is beauty lost as we age? And are we so attached to physical appearance that that's what it is that creates this great disconnect and fear around the idea of aging? I see. I remember coming to terms with the fact that I was getting older, as is everything that's alive on the planet. And what came into me is, do I want to identify with a chronological age, or would I like to identify with my soul, which is eternal? And I found that I made the decision to identify with my soul, which is timeless and may go across many lifetimes. And that did a huge amount for me personally to let go because I believe everybody absorbs it to a certain extent because there's so much media coverage. Let go to the, with the preoccupation and value around youthfulness. And I was able to create a space for natural beauty, natural grace to be expansive and go across all, you know, from from cradle to casket kind of perception. But I believe, like to answer your question, I believe that there's definitely, and 
I'm interested to hear what Kathleen feels about this too. An over glamour, there's a lot of glamour around being youth and there's an industry that drives that and basically we're fighting nature. Well, I think there's a lot of glamour around being youth, but I also go back and look at um, my parents and maybe my grandparents. When they turned 50, they made themselves look old. But I don't think that's what's going on with people who are my age at this time. And I am a senior. Um, so I think there's many more people out there who do not look to be 60, do not look to be even in their 50s. And I think, as Mildred Lynn said, they've gotten rid of all of the perception of when you do get older, it doesn't mean that you have to look like you're older. I think it means that you live your life the way you see yourself to be. I don't think I'm a senior. Um, I certainly don't. I mean, I'm, I, I have the wisdom that goes along with being a senior, and I'm very appreciative of that wisdom. But I don't feel like I should make myself look older, like I think our parents and our grandparents did automatically when they turned 50 or 55. Well, and I find it interesting that we seem to have a perception in our society of what older looks like, rather than older simply meaning somebody who is of an older age. There's also this perception of somehow, you know, we hear things like, you know, when you get to a certain age, you're not supposed to wear certain types of clothes or you're not supposed to do certain types of types of things. And, you know, and I've seen this, like if I go to an electronic music festival and there's somebody that's perceived to be older there, then, you know, people may comment like, oh, my gosh, I can't believe somebody that age is here, which seems odd to me because it's like, well, why would somebody, why would age have anything to do with what somebody has liked, continues to like, and if they find enjoyment in it, why wouldn't they go rather than feeling excluded or feeling as if they shouldn't do something or be something simply because of age? If we think about aging, then a lot of times we hear aging, all we hear about is what it is that it declines or what we lose or what goes away. What would you say that aging has to offer us as we get older? Well, for myself, Kathleen mentioned it, wisdom. I believe I am wiser, and that could be a dangerous thing. I'm wiser. Um, it also, I find as I got older, I, as I become older, I find my perspective on life becomes broader, and I also find that I become more tolerant. So things cease to be black and white and become more gray, and that expression has been used a lot. The other thing that aging has offered me personally, and maybe our listeners can identify with this, is a release and a freedom. And this comes from a broader perspective and wisdom. And the other thing that I, I find that nature has, has offered is an awareness and a, an attunement with nature, understanding the cycles of nature and reflecting that I am of nature and I'm in this part of the cycle. So that's what I found nature has to offer us. Mildred, I have to agree with everything you said. You, you, you took the words right out of my mouth, freedom and wisdom and awareness. Um, I love my life now because it's given me everything 
uh, I had it before, but you just didn't use it, you know, because you were tied into so many other things and and you had family and you had work. and But now, you know, it's the freedom and the wisdom that I truly love. Do you feel like there's something that we could do to help at a younger age begin to tap into that beauty of aging and the benefits that aging seems to bring us that you've mentioned so that we don't necessarily have to wait so long to start tapping into it and taking advantage of it versus a lot of times people looking back and going, oh, I wish I would have you know, not worked so much so I would have enjoyed my life more or something like that. So do you think that there's something that we could do to start helping people be more open to aging and what it has to offer rather than trying to push it off as far as possible and sometimes missing out on what some of those benefits of aging actually have to offer us? I see. I find that once you start walking the path of inner work, connecting to your breath and your soul, your inner voice starts to become louder than the external voice. And the internal voice asks really good questions. And there's room at the table for all ages when you're listening to your inner voice. But when you listen to the external voice, which is driven by consumerism or societal structures or whatever, that's that for me is where these negative messages about aging come from and are supported by that structure. So what I would offer our listeners is through the process of doing inner work, either either um, for reading maybe good spiritual books or doing yoga or through that path, invest in that path. Through investing in that path at a younger age, I feel that naturally aging will be put in a positive perspective as part of the cycle of life. I think as well, uh, I'm seeing more youth, uh, more than ever, um, starting to reap the benefits of yoga, starting to reap the benefits of positive thinking as opposed to the negative thinking as Mildred just mentioned. So I think it has started. Um, I think it just needs more um, people maybe like yourselves doing more radio talk shows and making it aware, making more people aware of, younger people aware of what's going on. And the other thing I see that, that came into me is role models. My funny story, I was basically raised by my grandmother. I spent a lot of time with her. I'm her namesake. And when I was a little girl, she was in her 50s, and she had a very positive way of showing up in the world. And so I always dreamed of of being like her. So I saw through my own experience the power of a positive role model that would be in the category of aging or older. So that would be something maybe the youth today may be able to find a mentor or role model. And I think that that takes us back to that idea of the crone, at least in the modern day sense of what that means, because it is that idea of the intermingling of generation, and the crone would be the grandmother that you just talked about. Mm -hmm. You know, the older woman 
and it could be a person that there 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 sometimes is a debate about whether there's an equivalent term or idea for men but crone is often thought about as a woman uh, but it is that that mentor that older person that serves as that role model like you were saying and i think that's something that we need to try to be able to encourage and find more ways of doing is opportunities where people of different ages have a chance to be together and and hear each other's stories and interact and talk because so often we start to create these separations whether it's societally that creates them or whether it's we start to choose them by choice uh because you'll see like suddenly you know as people get to a certain age they start to all congregate together but they don't go and do things where there are younger people and vice versa so i think that that idea of role model even if it's not so explicit but just being around people of of different ages is very important and we need to try to foster that and create opportunities for that more so than we often see in our society in general today good point so that will bring this discussion to a a close although i will be continuing the conversation around crone and and some other ideas that have to do with that as i engage in my conversation with my guest a bit later ellen lorenzi prince but i want to thank kathleen mcneil for joining me here as a guest of our round table today and also to mildred lynn mcdonald for joining me uh regularly for these round tables hi <laughs> uh, see i wanted just to interject if i may when I was looking at the word crone, I came across the Native American Indian Hopi prophecy. Mm-hmm. And it states that, and I feel it's timely if we looked at grandmothers as crones, when the grandmothers speak, the earth will be healed. Oh, beautiful. Mm-hmm. Yes. Well, and I think that that's the, the perfect quote to go out on because it, again, encourages the idea of developing interaction and conversation with the generations rather than them being separated from each other and not hearing what one has to offer the other both ways the older to the younger as well as the younger to the older so thank you very much for joining me here today for this round table and i encourage you to stay tuned because coming up we will have our living well segment as well as our astrology update and of course my conversation with ellen lorenzi prince And if you would like a reading a little later in the show, you can Skype in from the show page or you can call 646-716-5510 and that will let you get into the queue so that you can receive a reading live on the air with me. Thank you to Kathleen and to Mildred and stay tuned. We'll be right back.
You're listening to Revolution with host Heisey Lutmers on Firefly Willows L-I-V-E. Find out more at facebook.com slash revolution with Heisey. Stone and Sang, a spiritual gathering for men who love men, will be held October 3rd to the 6th, 2014, at a private healing center in the Santa Cruz Mountains. Sponsored by the Brothers of the Unnamed Path, this event will consist of workshops and presentations focused on creating social change and healing through the lens of magic and brotherhood. Come and share your energy and love with your presence. Presentation slots are still available for those interested. More information on this exciting weekend gathering can be found at www.stoneandstang.com. Blessed be. I am Linda Wiley, and this is Living Well with Linda. your monthly guide to the well-being of your body, mind, and spirit. It's about an alternative approach to life, healing, and living well in our changing world. Food is alive. It is a being. It is a sacred being. Food is not just our vital need. It is the web of life. Vandana Shiva Our body is a machine for living. It is organized for that. It is its nature. Let life go on in it, unhindered, and let it defend itself. It will do more than if you paralyze it by encumbering it with remedies. Leo Tolstoy, War and Peace To realize our connection with all of life, and the plant and animal kingdom and how we support and help each other in our process. I am Linda Wiley and this is Living Well with Linda. September, the month of mixed feelings. Summer is almost over. As the light lessens each day, cool evenings return, the leaves begin their turning of color, going within for the winter, and fall is rolling into view. Squirrels gathering their nuts, so should we be doing the same. Love them both. The end of one is the beginning of the next, just like all things in life. Living well is so much about enjoying life. So how do we go about enjoying life in September? Well, it's harvest time from now and until October or through October. Time to get together with the neighbors, our community, family and friends to put food up and make wine and savor the lasting rays of the warm summer sun. It's a delicious time of year. All our hard work has paid off and we are harvesting the garden now and eating the best of foods. Watering continues as the Indian summer seems to arrive. Unless one is planting a winter garden, It's time to think about cover cropping and mulching the soil to protect it during the cold winter rains and snow. It's time to think about gathering wood for our fires and keeping warm and how we will protect ourselves during the coming winter months as well. But for now, we enjoy this. 
I have been making some delicious meals and dishes and salads from the garden. It's fun to harvest the garden and then create lovely, wonderful, healing, health-giving, beautiful delicacies from what it is at hand. It's a very creative, imaginative, fun, sparky kind of thing to do. So I have not bought produce for months now. That is so cool, saving lots of money and just having a lot of fun. So how do we start? So saving food from the garden is a big thing now too. Dehydrating is best as canning takes all the life force out of the food because it's just cooked and cooked and cooked. But tomatoes for sauce, that's one thing. But you can also dehydrate the tomatoes getting something like a sun-dried tomato and then rehydrate, rehydrate them and make sauce that way. It has a much deeper and more robust flavor. I actually prefer it. So to carry this forward, I dehydrate much of my food. But I found that rehydrating foods like greens and summer squashes are not really so edible when rehydrated. So I don't use them, then I put them in the compost, all that. And it was uh, bothering me. Like, what could I do to make the saving of food something that we'll eat and enjoy over the winter? You know, as we ruminate on things, sometimes it's lovely how these ideas just seem to pop into our head. And so it was with this. Grate up your summer squashes in the Cuisinart. All kinds will do. You can mix and match. Use one kind, this, that, or the other like that. And you can combine it with many food combinations. You put this into a mixing bowl. They're all grated or chopped finely, you know. Add brags to taste, green onions or chives or any herbs or spices of your choice that you like. And add some Parmesan or Asiago cheese. Lay it out in thin layers on the dehydrator sheet and dry on low heat, like under 115 for as long as it takes them to dry. They become crunchy bits of flavor to add to any dish as a garnish or to uh, put on top of your rice or quinoa or just eat plain on a backpacking trip out in nature. They're packed full of goodness. It was really fun. I have also mixed grated carrots, small broccoli flowerettes, chopped greens into this mixture and I've made the greens separate as well. Somewhat like um, kale chips but they don't have the same kind of coating. A little different. Very tasty. It's fun to make summer squash salads also. So I take my variety of summer squashes, cut them julienne style which is long thin strips and I add peppers and cucumbers, tomatoes, green onions, red onions, some grated carrots, julienne greens. Toss with your favorite dressing. It's yummy. It's all raw, all full of goodness from nature, as they say, and it's true. Also, I've made and love this. Everybody really does love this, too. It is a beet, green apple, red onion dill salad. So you cook the beets in water until tender, drain and dry. Cut into small pieces along with apples and the red onions. Mix together, adding balsamic vinegar, salt and pepper to taste, and olive oil. This takes a lot of salt and vinegar to bring up and out the flavor. So don't be afraid to keep adding it and tasting it till you get it to this rich, full flavor. Eggplants are plentiful right now. You can grill 
them with the summer squashes and eggplants and um, summer squashes and onions. Delicious. But grilled eggplant by itself is really good. And you can add chev and red pepper to the slices and roll them up. You slice the eggplant on the thin side, but not too thin. Salt each side and set aside a while as the salt makes the eggplant weep. As it weeps, it takes out the bitterness. After they have whipped for a bit, at least a half an hour, pat dry, coat with olive oil, and grill or broil. Nice and soft, a little golden brown on the top. Let them cool. Now, they can be eaten this way as well with a tarragon or basil or even sage pesto. They're all delicious. So they can be eaten this way as well with a tarragon, basil, or sage pesto. Or you can take them and dab a bit of chev in the middle of the round with a sliced roasted red pepper and then you roll it up. And it's delicious as an appetizer or part of the meal. Any of the pestos are great with it. People love it. Greek salads are great this time of year too with all the wonderful cucumbers we have. I take the different kinds of cucumbers that I have, the the regular long kind, the short pickling kind, the um, lemon cucumbers, cut them up, you know, take the seeds out, Kalamata olives, peppers, green and red peppers, tomatoes, red onions, garlic, salt, pepper, red wine, vinegar, and feta. All the taste, experiment, keep adding a little bit till it really reaches, reaches that deliciousness. And that's a classic feta. Greek salads are classic. Summer squash sandwiches. Now this was a fun little silly little thing, but it's very simple. You slice thin rounds of yellow summer squashes and zooks and cukes. You grate some carrots and some beets. You mix with herbs and chives and seasoning, like Bragg's perhaps and your favorite uh, herbs. Take the yellow squash slices and that will be the bottom. Then you add the cucumber. It's like a stacked thing. You put a few grated carrots and beets on that and then cover with another little yellow squash. Put a toothpick in it to hold it together. And it's a one-bite thing. You could add different uh, types of dressings, sauces, even a bit of feta cheese, a little avocado, just a little bit because they're very thin and small, very cute. Raw fruit pie. One of my most favorite things. It's very easy, delicious, incredibleness. So you take mixed chopped nuts. You're going to put them in the Cuisinart with some dates and some raisins, maybe some oats perhaps, together with a little maple syrup. This holds it together, some honey, vanilla, cinnamon. Mix it together in the Cuisinart, and it becomes a, a, a thick, you know, like a pie dough. And then you spread it out in your pie pan. And you cut up fruit. You can use all kinds of fruit, fresh strawberries, blueberries, raspberries, figs, pears are coming up, apples are coming on. And you you fill it. You can layer it with different layers of fruit. I'll use the one, one kind of fruit. And so you fill the pie pan with that on top of the crust. And then you make a coconut cream. This you have to make a day ahead. You get a small can of the coconut cream. It's organic coconut cream, small can, more concentrated, more of the cream of the coconut. And you add stevia 
and vanilla to it to, to taste. Make it as sweet as you like. You could add a little dab of maple syrup or honey, but those also thin it out and make it so that it won't uh, come together as this like thick whipped cream kind of thing. So then you just let it sit overnight and in the refrigerator, and this is when it thickens up. And then you cover the fruit with this and put some edible flowers on the top of it and garnish it like that and it's really fabulous you could just eat the whole pie right there it's kind of like a guilt-free dessert because it's just raw nuts and coconut and fruit delicious now persimmons are starting to come too mine are not ready yet but they're going to be coming and this persimmon coconut cream is fabulous so you puree up your persimmons you mix in the coconut cream. And I, I recommend always that you add cinnamon and ginger to the persimmons because they're one of the coldest energetic fruits and it can cause cramps in, in people. It, it does in me anyway if I don't have it warm like that. And so you cinnamon, ginger, cloves, nutmeg really makes it delicious. So enjoy all the bounty and abundance and beautifulness from nature that surrounds us because as we eat it and enjoy it we become it and we radiate that beauty and health and strength and groundedness to our families and our community so here are a few fun cookbooks to explore as well nourishing traditions this is a Weston A. Price Foundation book. Weston A. Price is a very incredible man who has gone around the world exploring indigenous cultures and what they ate and put uh, nourishing traditional recipes together. For fun with old-time seasonal recipes, Celtic Folklore Cooking by Joanne Asala. It's really fun. I'm going to make the elderberry wine that's in there. I've collected the elderberries now and I've got all the ingredients for it. We're going to try and make wine. Who knows? First time, never made it, but it's fun. For a gourmet approach to raw food and its beauty, Raw by Roxanne Klein and Charlie Trotter. It is just something of incredible beauty to behold. Very inspiring. And to see that such beauty does, does exist and, and we can create it with the beauty of nature together, this co-created beautiful thing. So enjoy looking at that. And then the Mystic Cookbook, the Mystic Cookbook, The Secret Alchemy of Food by Denise Lynn and Meadow Lynn. Wonderfully connected ideas about food and awakening. Fresh food, organic and seasonal and local is the way to health for all, including the planet, and to help with our spiritual awakening because it clears away all the chemical impurities, I guess you would say, of that's added to much of our food today. That keeps us locked up inside. So if you're looking to make herbal remedies, here's one to consider. There are many such books out there these days as we all look for ways to find better health than what Big Pharma offers. Herbal Remedies is one by Andrew Chevalier. It's easy to use. It has photos. And taking health into our own hands has many rewards, as it is a very worthwhile endeavor in today's world. 
Wild Fermentation by Sandor Katz. Fermentation of food is life-giving, life-supporting food item that we should all be partaking of. It's it's a one of the, it's a one of the best books out there on how to do it. And so I've been making my own sauerkraut. I love it, and it's easy to make, and it's so fun. Making life fun is all about our well-being, not denial, but real, genuine fun. What is it for you? What brings you joy in your life? It's time to be doing that. Get out in the sun now as much as you can and enjoy the deep benefits of collecting vitamin D3 for this coming winter. Enjoy nature as much as you can as well. Walk barefoot on the earth. I've been doing that, and honestly, when I do that more throughout the day, I feel a definite energy boost. It's really, really neat. Walking is one of the best and most enjoyable enjoyable movements we can do. Sitting for long periods of day uh, during our day is not recommended. So they recommend getting up and walking and stretching several times during the day and taking a walk outside for a few minutes. Oh, and one last book. It's called The Big Fat Surprise. Why Butter, Cheese, and Meat Belong in a Healthy Diet by Nina Telchos. Yep, we have been lied to about, well, just about everything. Diet and drugs are no exception to this rule. I find that eating this way has greatly helped me feel better, and it keeps me lean, too. So much to really know here about what constitutes a healthy diet in today's world. So, yeah, I would recommend getting this book and maybe make some changes, think about some things, and maybe make a change. Changes are always good. And here are a couple of YouTubes to watch. Awakening to the Matrix in five minutes. It's really great. And what I love about so much about this movement also is that it tends to have a lot of young people who are waking up and exploring the world, and I, I think that's really important. And for those who want a deeper look in, Universal Consciousness and the Metaphorical Aspects of Reality. This is by Ben Stewart, another one of those young, wonderful waking up folks. A metaphorically symbolic look at the world today. It's deeply enlightening and worth the watch. Here's a clue. Look within. We all need to do this because when we look within, we become free of the false beliefs we all hold. And this is very important to our well-being. So for now, thanks for listening in. Take care and enjoy the rest of your day. Until we meet again, namaste. And remember... It's only a dream. It's only a dream. It's only a dream. It's only a dream. Thank you for joining me today for this segment of Living Well with Linda. I'm Linda Wiley. If you would like to chat further with questions, comments, or consultations, please contact me at Linda at Thank you and blessings to all. Blessings to all. Have a great rest of the day.
guest this month is artist, poet, mythographer, and spiritual adventuress Ellen Lorenzi Prince. Ellen's primary focus is the creation of oracles to speak with the soul, the ancestors, and the gods. Her 30-year journey has led her into deep explorations of image and meaning through travels in Italy, Greece, England, and Egypt. She has led a group meditation in the Cave of the Muses at Mount Parnassus and read the cards for non-English speaking strangers on a train. She presents her inventive, experiential and engaging talks, workshops and rituals throughout the United States with venues that include the Omega Institute in Rhinebeck, New York, the Q Center in Portland, Oregon, as well as conferences in San Francisco, Dallas, Philadelphia and New York. Her first tarot deck, the raw and powerful Tarot of the Crone, is now in its second edition. Her major's only paleo tarot looks at how far back in time the archetypes of tarot have spoken to us. Her recent works include the Dark Goddess Tarot, a deck celebrating the strength and magic of immortal female figures from around the world, and the Minoan Tarot, a deck based upon the lively art and culture of ancient Crete. Ellen's current projects include a new tarot deck dedicated to the goddess Kali and the Dark Goddess Lodge, a cyber sanctuary rooted in the wisdom of the dark goddesses. You can find out more about Ellen and her work at www.croneways.com or www.darkgoddesstarot.com or 
www.darkgoddesslodge.com. So please help me in welcoming to the show today, revolutionary guest, Ellen Lorenzi Prince. Welcome to the show, Ellen, and thank you very much for taking the time to join us here today. It's a pleasure to have you here. Oh, thank you so much for having me here. This is pretty exciting for me. As we heard in the introduction, probably some of the things you're best known for are the tarot decks that you've created. And there was Tarot of the Crone, the Dark Goddess Tarot, the Paleo Tarot, which actually I hadn't really heard much about. Um, and then you have the either just released or it's getting ready to come out, the Minoan Tarot. Right. And uh, the Tarot of the Crone was your first deck, correct? Yes. Yes. And if I recall, I heard you talking about when you created that. Um, well, you know, I think the first thing we should do, because we actually talked about this a little bit in the roundtable discussion earlier in the show, what is your perception and your definition of crone? Uh, to me, it's it's really just an older, wise woman. There is the maiden mother crone idea of the goddess, and I understand that. But to me, that also kind of puts puts the goddess into a smaller box, you know, because it's putting putting her into these human categories that I think she's bigger than. How I feel about the crone is it's it's a label for um, an old wise woman or even just an old woman, and that's important to me because I feel in our society that both age and women haven't always gotten the respect that they should, um, but then it's also a, a form of the goddess that is the one who has the experience, who has seen the life and the death and has, has gone into mystery, and those things have always been important to me as well. And earlier in the roundtable discussion, um, a couple of the women there had said that they had talked about what the word crone meant to them. And they're both, I think, like in their 50s or maybe a little older. Um, a few years ago, they had talked about that, and they said they definitely didn't want to use that word for themselves. <laughs> because to them, the image, of course, is the haggard old woman with the long nose and the warts and, you know, very right. ugly and often covered. And I think that may come from a very old traditional meaning or image of that word. But what you're talking about, especially Maiden Mother Crone, that kind of came about in, I think, the early 20th century with the book The White Goddess. Is Would you say that's true? Um, you know, I'm not, I'm not sure myself where... I first heard of that trinity to describe the goddess of maiden, mother, and crone. I do feel like the word crone can be limiting 
to the goddess and that uh, because she is bigger than a human label like that. At the same time, I have such a great admiration for my own grandmothers who taught me to read and taught me to sew and taught me to knit and taught me to cook fudge, so, you know, important things, and, um, and who were always there for me and seemed very wise and magical in, in all that they could do. And so I've always uh, appreciated the wisdom and the energy of elderly people. So to me, Crone is not so, so bad. I remember as a child um, stroking my grandmother's hand, and she looked down at her hands, which, you know, were veiny and speckled and whatever, and she said, oh, I, I don't like my hands. And I said, but why? They're so colorful and they're so soft. <laughs> I couldn't, you know, get that that should be unattractive to look like that. And now, of course, I get it because I've been trained all these years <laughs> to, you know, perceive what, what should be considered attractive. But also, it's it's one of those words that I think should be reclaimed and that we shouldn't fear, shouldn't be sad about, you know, like liberal, you know, what's wrong with that, you know, what's wrong with prone? <laughs> well, I think it speaks more to a larger issue in our society about the the fear and almost the denial of aging and yeah. this, this mythology, it's almost like we've mythologized youth and to the point where we kind of push off into this fearful darkness of obscurity, aging, or anyone that is older. Um, so in, as, you, as you have grown older, um, what words of wisdom or advice would you give to people who are struggling with accepting the aging process and how they can come to a, a more of a acceptance and even to see the value in that rather than looking at it as representing what they've lost, quote-unquote, in terms of how we yeah. often say our lost youth? Well, one thing is, is you do have to give up a certain amount of vanity and, and decide that that's not so important um, and appearance is not so important and it's more about what you can do with your life now, with all of that you've learned up to this point and all of this power that hopefully you've been accumulating and knowledge that you've been accumulating all your life, now you can bring it all together and really make something of it. And that's what I think is the, is the real benefit. And then also, um, as you grow older, you can separate yourself from a lot of the dramas that occur when we're younger. I mean, a lot of us wouldn't want to go back to teenage years because of all the drama then. You know, everything is just a, a crisis and, and there's so much emotional stuff. Um, now, I think there's, there's wisdom in being more calm and that's not denying passion, 
but it's not engaging in the fights and the um, interactions that don't support you and help you and feed you. And I think that's that's a very wise and wonderful thing to be able to do, to have the knowledge to say, oh, no, that's not me, and I'm not going to go there. And I think that's a great benefit that people should embrace. And and also, okay, now it's my time. You know, I only have so much time left. I've got to make the most of it now. I have got to do what I love and what I want. You know, there's... You don't have so much um, family obligation. If you had children, you can do more for for yourself and your own soul, and that's what I value very much about becoming older. And I think something that you really illustrated is something that's very important: that the the tendency when people talk about age is to talk about what gets lost or what they miss. And what you really illustrated is it's much more focusing on what it is that you've gained through wisdom, through experience, even through extra time that you can devote for yourself that may have previously gone to raising children or that kind of thing. So I think that 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 emphasis is something that can really help and benefit people is to start focusing on what is this gain for me? What is this giving and offering me rather than always looking backwards almost and, and saying, what can I now no longer do? What do I no longer have as a result of aging? Um, do you have a particular age as to when you feel someone moves into what would be called the, the crone role or stage? No, I, I don't. Because I I think that Everybody is different, and and for instance, a woman who had children later in her life, she could still have young ones at home when she's 50. So I don't think it's an age, and and I don't necessarily think that everyone gets to a crone place, uh, which to me, and which is fine. Also, you know, if they have a, a different life path, but to me, a, a crone place is when you start um, thinking more about about meanings and energies and inner work rather than the outer work. And do you feel that there is an equivalent term or stage for men? Because I know generally we think of crone as as a woman. Well, one word I've heard is sage that is possible. I do think there's a shift for men. You know, I haven't, of course, experienced that myself. Um, women have an obvious change in their body when they stop bleeding and stop becoming fertile. And that doesn't happen for men. It's more like a, a tapering off instead of a such a dramatically visible change that the women can experience. So so I don't know, you know, it's an interesting thing, but I, I see it happening with my husband, you know, a growing acceptance of and a, a growing interest in, in things that are um, 
deeper and inner and and more about the meanings and the being here rather than the doings and the actions. And I think that, like when you talked about a woman going through menopause and that kind of thing, um, that in some ways men are hobbled (laughs) by not having such distinct periods of initiation and distinct periods of rites of passage that that women go through. Uh, And I would encourage people, especially men, to not be afraid to necessarily do more uh, study and research into even the idea of maiden mother crone just to start thinking about how does that reflect the stages of a man's life so that there is also an awareness of a shift from phase to phase and perhaps doing something very particular to um, commemorate that shift, to celebrate that shift, to at least indicate <laughs> that shift. Right. And and again, like you said, wanting to welcome what what you can go toward rather than always just thinking about what you've lost. And that's why I like that term. If, if we think of these phases, if we think of doing an initiation ritual or rite into each phase, then it's that idea of initiation is about starting something new with that vision towards what will it become or what can I create with this. So even if there's just that sense of initiation for each phase celebrated by some sort of rite or acknowledgement, it maybe can help to generate that idea of let me see what this has to offer me and what I can make of it rather than uh, more like a death ritual where we're recognizing the phase that we've left behind and now, you know, I, I no longer have that. Um, and you uh, And you can correct me on this, but I think I recall that you had, you created the Tarot of the Crone deck at a, at a relatively young age when people would think about a crone. <laughs> uh, yeah, I was um, in my early 40s when I created it. And I did think, well, who am I to create this thing, you know, and what do I know? But because of my goddess, who's Hecate, and my grandmother's, I just had such a strong connection that that was what was in me to do, so I had to go ahead and do it anyway, regardless of what people thought, because I was doing it mostly for me and as a way of um, connecting with my goddess. And it was one of the proudest moments in my life when I got an email from, shortly after I put up the website with some images of Terror of the Crown, I got an email from an 80-year-old woman who said to me, I feel recognized for the first time in my life. And I thought, okay, <laughs> at least, you know, the crone is speaking through me even if I'm not of crone age yet. And, well, I think that it goes back, that, that connection or that awareness goes back, like you were talking about, to when you were a child and stroking your grandmother's hand. There was an awareness of the, the, the beauty and even the softness in the person who was older that I think probably helped to bring you to doing this deck at, at an earlier age versus someone who was already in that crone stage and now doing something that reflected that. 
Have you discovered anything as you've gotten older? Have you discovered anything that has surprised you in terms of thinking about the deck and going, wow, how did I connect with that? How did I know to include that when I hadn't even experienced that myself? Or is there something different now where you go, if I was doing the deck again, there may be something I would include or do differently now that I've actually experienced it for yourself? I haven't done that because I've been kind of preoccupied with with my new decks, you know, creating them and then and launching them into the world. But I really like that question. I'm going to have to go look at, at my uh, Crone deck and think about that um, because now the second edition is out of print and I'm contemplating doing a third edition. So Excellent. I'm glad I could spur that thought. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so you mentioned that you initially did it as a way to connect with your goddess. Um, yeah. Can you maybe talk a little bit about the goddess that you primarily work with and what goddess means to you? My first experiences with the term goddess were when I read Bullfinch's mythology when I was um, 10. And I just thought it was amazing to have these female characters that weren't, you know, tragic waifs or or princesses. You know, I, I didn't want to have a life where I either had to get married or had to die. And when I was young, you know, I bet that seemed all there was. And without having a lot of direction of my own life. And so these stories of the goddesses who had power and did things that they wanted were were so impressive to me at the time. And then I think it was probably the white the book The White Goddess by Robert Graves and Starhawk's um, Spiral Dance when those when that book came out and that was a real awakening to me of like, wow, there are other people who feel like this too. <laughs> and and so then I was connecting with with that. Um, my idea of goddess has has developed you know it's a it's a living she's living i'm living you know it's a relationship that that develops and and changes i uh my personal goddess is hecate who i appreciate for being able to guide me into my dark places to let me um learn and and throw light onto those those areas and and she's been a great teacher and there have been times when I've gotten so mm, oh I have to figure out who is she really what is this really what is this you know and I and I don't know you know is the energy I experience just inside me or outside me or or what you know i don't know either way it's it's amazing if i have that power that i can contact that's inside me wow that's amazing and if she exists outside me well that is amazing too so i just kind of go with it you know she seems to be a separate entity because she seems to know more than i do <laughs> most of the time. Um, and yeah, so I don't know that my 
fool card in the Tower of the Crone was based on a, a meditation I did where I asked Hecate to show me her true self because she had appeared to me in various guises before and she just opened up her cloak and I fell into the dark void of nothing, you know, and then kind of came to myself about 20 minutes later with tears streaming down my face, clutching the bed sheets. So so I don't know that I can know her true reality more than that little bit. And was that experience as a result of you were specifically seeking out Hecate or did she come and seek you out and then that started you down the path of working with her in particular? Oh, that that particular experience happened after I had been working with her for a while. And so I wanted to go deeper and know exactly what she was. Uh, My first encounter with Hecate was when I went to a retreat that Starhawk was giving in 1985. And I, and for one of the um, exercises was to do a group trance and the group that I connected with decided to invoke Hecate and do this group trance with her and it was absolutely amazing and we all saw the same thing and I felt this power. You know, before when I thought about her experienced goddesses, it was more um, just trying to connect to this energy. But then Hecate came to me as not just an amorphous energy, but like as an individual that I could interact with. And and so that was where I started the conversation, the ongoing conversation with her. And I heard you tell a story once um, that I would describe as having a, a period of a, like a crisis of faith, perhaps. Right. Um, and that you had an encounter while walking down the street with a woman and a dog, if you need me to oh, jog right, your memory. Right. <laughs> um, could you maybe tell that story? Yeah, yeah. I was actually sitting on the beach, uh, uh, Moonstone Beach in um, Northern California. And I had just been, you know, pondering as I do about, you know, life, the universe and everything, and the meaning of it all. But I felt disconnected and from the goddess energy and from myself. And and I set set this thing, okay, you know, you have to show me within one, the next moon, show me that you really exist and are active in my life and you're not just in my imagination. And so later on during that time, I was sitting on the beach and then this black dog runs up to me and licks my face and then runs back to this old woman with gray hair walking along the beach and she waves to me and calls out, love you. And I was just like, okay, that's great because of the old woman and then the black dog is uh, Hecate's main symbol or companion. So, and I wanted you to tell that story because I'm wondering what you might advise or suggest to people if they are experiencing a crisis of faith uh, or going through a difficult time and wondering if what they have believed is really 
you know, valid or accurate or even is there for them. Um, what do you think that you might offer to people as a way to step into and and move through that sort of a, a crisis of faith? Hmm. Well, I will tell you another story. This was about actually an earlier time. I'd only been working with Hecate for a couple years, and when I decided she was calling me to go to Greece, and so my husband and I sold everything we owned and took off with one-way tickets to Europe with our six-year-old daughter at the time. And in Greece, I had a wonderful flood of creativity and knowledge and everything that was coming from her. But then we couldn't stay there anymore, and we ended up going to um, England after that. And there, things got so difficult. On my 33rd birthday, after buying frozen broccoli and frozen frozen fish sticks at the store for my birthday dinner, I had, you know, 10 pence to my name and not really knowing how I was going to feed my daughter the next day. And I got so angry at Hecate for what I felt was like leading me into a place and then, you know, I I couldn't feel her energy anymore. And I think a lot of it was the stress getting in the way. But I got very angry at her and I pretty much turned my back on her for a while. Uh, Then we came back to the United States after six months in England. And I you know, got a job and built kind of a new career as a a software developer. And I tried to find another goddess because I I missed that, that deep soul, heartfelt connection that I'd had. But none of the other goddesses that I tried working with were really coming alive for me. You know, it was not the, the same. And so I I decided that, you know, okay, Hecate is the one, but we don't, but I had to try and rebuild a connection and rebuild some trust. And it took several years. Every time I tried to contact her, you know, and do my um, kind of trance journeying thing, I just found myself in this barren red land where I would wander and there would be nothing there, which that card actually turned into the shadow of wands and the terror of the crown. But the thing was, I just kept trying and eventually it changed. You know, when I went into that other world, um, it changed into like a deep, dark ocean and you know, and I just kept working with it and kept on trying. It's like it's like having a relationship. If it's important to you, you keep working at it, and you don't let one fight um, split you apart forever. And actually, drawing the tarot of the crone was my healing of the relationship between us. I was doing it for her and for me 
to bring us back together. And it worked. So then that would be another thing that people could do is to to make an offering, you know, do something. Um, but but then, you know, a crisis of faith, it could be that you are ready for something else. You know, that's that's not something that I could necessarily advise to somebody. Maybe it is time for them to to move in a different direction with their spirituality. For me, I tried and it didn't work, so I went back and worked on the, the primary relationships. They, and, and we eventually got back together and it was good. Um, and then you also then created the Dark Goddess Tarot, and I know Hecate is often referred to as one of the, the Dark Goddesses. Um, can you maybe just give a little bit of an explanation for people as to what you mean when you use that term, Dark Goddess? Because um, I think a lot of people probably have a perception of evil or scary or negative or bad. Right. Um, so maybe you can just elucidate for us a bit, illuminate, if you will, in the darkness, um, <laughs> what it is that, that dark goddess means to you, and also what kind of, uh, what goddesses you tend to think of that fall under that category of dark goddess. Well, for the dark goddess tarot, I, I definitely had a larger definition of dark, or I wouldn't have found 78 goddesses <laughs> to put on the cards. Um, Dark goddesses, to me, well, uh, first of all, they would be a a goddess that does deal with death. And since we've already mentioned how scary that is for people to sometimes even talk about or or mention, um, that that does really scare people. So the goddesses that, that deal with the things that are difficult for us, and to me, that's like wonderful that that you can find help with these dark things um, because they exist. They exist within us. They exist outside of us and and all around us. And the dark goddesses can give us courage. Uh, Other dark goddesses might be associated with sexuality, which is a quite fraught subject in our society. Or they have to do with um, war or, or fighting. Which is not so fraught, but but you know, women aren't always encouraged to to be such. And then the other aspect of the dark goddesses that I have are are also just goddesses who have this power that is um, often uncomfortable in our society. You know, powers of of leadership and. Um, sovereignty and magical abilities and and the other things that we don't you know will will embrace leadership perhaps if it's you know a older white man but not necessarily uh if it's somebody else or somebody who looks a little bit different from that and so i think that's important to embrace is all of these powers you know whether you're a man or a woman, whatever, no aspect of of human expression and power should be d- denied to you. Uh, the other thing about 
the dark, I think, is has to do with um, the concept of the psychological concept of the shadow. It's what we've denied in ourselves or or repressed because we've been told that's not the way we're supposed to be. And so all of those powers I want to bring out. Uh, some many of the dark uh, the goddesses that are included in the dark goddess tarot aren't ones that people would normally think of as being um, very dark, like Athena, who is normally a helpful goddess of wisdom, giving things to her people and to the heroes that she she loves, like um, Odysseus. And yet she is also a goddess of war, and and any of the Greek goddesses are you know ready to smite somebody who crosses their path. They have no problem with that at all. So they do have a death aspect in them as well. That's just not what people focus on. But because of that, they they can be included. Uh, certain goddesses like Kuan Yin just really does not have a dark aspect to me so she could not be included in the deck but um but many others would would be found in there that i think people wouldn't expect and i think that those goddesses especially are really representative of those areas that a lot of people are afraid to go into to look at even in themselves let alone in the world around them Um, how did you find that you were able to be willing to step into some of those darker or more shadow realms and areas uh, and overcome some of the fear or the hesitation of going there um, because of what you might uncover, what you might encounter, what you might have to deal with? Um, to me, I've I've really never been afraid of that, and I, I don't... Um, I mean, I guess I could speculate as to why I I had a you know difficult uh, family life when I was young, and so and so the darkness was always there, and so if it's there, I gotta learn how to deal with it, and I've gotta learn how to make it better. So I've been feeling like that ever since I can remember. So to me, um, knowledge isn't scary. It's so funny because I know I've had friends who who are afraid of tarot readings because they don't want to know stuff. And I think, gosh, you know, if it exists, you should know about it. (laughs) Because otherwise, how can you work with it? How can you make things better for yourself and, and for the world if, if we are just always running away. And, and, and it's not about, you know, trying to focus in on bad stuff or painful stuff or, and wallow in that, but it's just trying to shed light on it so you can do some healing for it. And rather than just trying to patch it over and ignore it, I just, I just don't get doing that, I guess. And I think it's also needing to recognize that when we don't do that, those aspects often become the things that end up controlling us or that we end up 
giving our power over to and they end up causing us to act in ways or get stuck in ways or to experience things that we might not actually have to suffer through or suffer through so greatly if we had actually gone in to develop a relationship with them rather than to pretend like they're not there or be afraid of them, which just allows them to operate at a subconscious level without us being part of the process of how they manifest through us, through our lives, through our actions, etc. And I think oh, that exactly. And I think a deck like yours is a really can be a really useful tool for people to start that process and then go deeper, but to start that process because it kind of gives it's like going down the steps into that dark basement and your deck kind of provides each card to me as kind of like a step on the staircase. And so uh, yeah. it allows that gentle one step at a time but we're not going to deny that we're going there process um, so that we can just work and go into that in our own pace and in our own way but have something that is helping to facilitate the process to take our hand and say now it's okay let's go one step more down (laughs) Um, do you have your your any of your decks at hand there I do. I always have a a Dark Goddess Tarot and a Tarot of the Crone by my um, computer. So I wondered if we could let them speak to each other. Okay. Uh, And first, just to go back to some of the things we talked about initially, but we're going to flip the deck. So I want to ask the Dark Goddess what it means to be a crone. And then ask the Tarot of the Crone how someone can best, how we can best um, step into a relationship with the dark or the dark goddess, whichever way you'd like to focus that. Okay. All right. So um, the Dark Goddess Tarot gives me the Nine of Air or Nine of Swords in a traditional deck, the Banshee as the answer to what is the crone. And so she, Banshee is actually a word in Irish. It means fairy woman. The magical fairy woman would prophesize for um, the kings of Ireland and the clans, you know, and, and give them secret information and knowledge from the other world. Her image has devolved, as many of the goddesses have, to being just kind of a a wailing spirit who warns of death, and so you have to be scared if you hear her. But this is why she's in the nine of air, you know, that, that place where the thoughts can come to you that are scary. And what she tells you you can do with them is that is that this is a, a power of vision and and you can you're, if you aren't afraid to see even the dark stuff, even something that might be painful, then you can have a true vision. And once you have that true vision, then there's something you can do about it. And then maybe it won't be so painful anymore. 
Yeah, so being a crone is all about being willing to see and not fearing what is the truth and, um, and being able to contact those, those mystical realms where, where so much more knowledge is available to us if we can just reach out to it through tarot or, or whatever uh, medium we like. And I think it also speaks to what you had mentioned, like saying you didn't want to go back to your teenage years because everything was, you know, a life or death drama. Yeah. And that that card really speaks to that idea of being able to parse out what is real drama and what is it that I'm just overblowing in my head and and creating drama around. Yeah, she's a a key to seeing what is true within the swirl of you know, dark thoughts that that might swamp somebody at some point. So now what does the Tarot of the Crone have to say regarding how to best develop a relationship with and encounter the darkness or the dark goddess? The Tarot of the Crone has um, the Ten of Wands, which in this deck shows a kind of a, like a blasted tree trunk and there is, you know, the dark shadow within it, but then all of these rays of light behind it. And what this says to me is it's just the willingness, you know, you you go as far as you can go and then you you go farther. You know, you keep trying. You You don't, let yourself be um, halted permanently by your fears or or what comes up for you. It's it's just being willing to go farther in order to really reach a transformative place. And this is a card. The key word for it is transformation, because the energy of the tree has been transformed into rays of light by the lightning blast. And transformation, you know, it's something that we often talk about because we might want to be different, but but we have to recognize that it isn't a simple or easy process. You know, there there can be pain involved, but we don't focus on the pain, we focus on on where we're going to get to through the pain. And the the way you describe that image with the the, the rays of light coming out from behind, um, you know, and it makes me think of like when we see something in silhouette, and you kind of get that in the image of the card there because you have that very black area kind of at the top of the tree part. Um, so if we think of like somebody standing in front of a window where the sun is and they're just in silhouette, uh, and it, it makes me think of that idea of when we're when we're in the the darkest shadow or when the shadow is most defined, which is usually when people will want to step back or run away because they get too afraid. But it actually means we're closest to the light. Yeah. So like you were saying, if we can just stay there and then continue to move into it and beyond it, we'll actually move into that place of transformation rather than get consumed by the darkness. Yeah, yeah. If you need to, just hang on, but don't back up. 
you know? Right. Just hang on to where you are and then inch forward when you can and then you get there. And I, and I think that's a big lesson for people to really learn. Because like, even when you said it took a number of years for you to redevelop that relationship and that trust after going to Europe and everything, that we're, we're so caught up in this idea that we need to do something, that we, we miss the, the value and the benefit in sometimes we just need to stop and sit with what it is, and maybe we'll be sitting with it for a while, not just yeah. you know a weekend. <laughs> um, and sometimes we will move beyond it, but sometimes just sitting with it will reveal something to us that we hadn't or wouldn't have been able to know or encounter if we had just quickly tried to move through it or had immediately turned away from it simply because it didn't, in the split second of instant gratification, give us what it is that we thought it should. Right. So thank you for being willing to do that, by the way, with the cards. I know that was very spontaneous. <laughs> oh, of course. That was fun. I mean, that's interesting. I, I like those interesting questions for the cards and yes. what they have to say. <laughs> Um, and and so and speaking of decks, maybe you can just give us a little bit of information about what the Minoan Tarot is that's just now coming out. I, I'm not sure if it's actually available yet or if it's getting ready to be available. Uh, we are taking pre-orders right now at darkgoddesstarot.com. It should be uh, available and starting to be shipped out for the pre-orders around mid-November. The Minoan tarot, I love the Minoan culture, and it's one of the late Bronze Age cultures, um, contemporaries with uh, you know, ancient Egypt and uh, Babylonia, but they're not as well known, and they are such a, a beautiful and lively culture. They were based on the island of Crete, although they had uh, colonies in some of the other Greek islands. Too. And what I love about them is that they were um, peaceful. None of their art um, glorifies wars. None of their art glorifies like individual kings as war leaders. Um, their art glorifies nature and the goddess and themselves and their creativity and their sexuality, and I love that their culture had, you know, cross-dressing and non-rigid um, gender roles, and they had no, there's no evidence of very extreme um, wealth differences. You know, the, the towns had, were full of lovely two-story houses for families and the palaces were not what's called the palaces on, on Crete are not actually like the homes of the kings they were the the religious and distribution centers for goods and services the the artists workshops were there and and the storage of oil and grain for the people were there and the places for ritual were, were there. And it just is um, such a lovely, vibrant culture, you know, more technologically advanced. So they had uh, 
water management systems with irrigation and public baths that weren't recreated for 1,500 years until the, later, and when the Romans came along. Um, they had jewelry-making techniques that weren't recreated until the 1800s. And I just think there, it was just so much fun to do that duck because it was so, it was not dark at all. It was very light and joyful, and it just felt like sinking into this other world that was just so full of joy. And I want to show people that this is not a fantasy to have loving goddess nature and technologically advanced society. This is a true part of our history, and I, I want to bring that back out. And I think that it's an interesting progression in terms of the decks that you've created, because you start with the Tarot of the Crone, which is, I'm faced with some difficult questions, my mortality and that kind of thing. Then the dark goddess, which says I have to be willing to go into those more uncomfortable things. I'm dealing with someone right now who last week we just decided to put into hospice care. And mm. so it makes me think of this idea where I'm faced with that prospect. Then we have to have the more difficult conversations and deal with some of the darker aspects, you know, like asking someone, you know, what kind of funeral would you like? which we normally don't bring up in conversation just over <laughs> right. dinner a lot of times. Um, and then, just like we were talking about with that Ten of Wands that came up, if we're willing to go there and simply go through that, then we come out the other side where there is light waiting for us, light of transformation, light of in illumination, of enlightenment. And so there's that kind of progression in the decks where the crone is faced with, and then you went into the dark goddess aspect, which is actually going into the dark aspects of things and now you've come out the other side to do a deck that is light yeah we'll see what i do next huh? yeah <laughs> um so as we come to a close of our conversation there is something that i always ask every guest two questions and one is a question from a previous guest that they didn't know who it would be asked to for you to respond. And then the second thing will be a question that you would like to pose for a future guest. Um, just whatever, any range, it can be whatever kind of question you want uh, without knowing who might end up being asked the question. So the question that I'm going to pose to you came from a guest named Eric Dupre, or Eric Dupree, depending on how you want to say it. And he is a writer, he's a magic maker, um, he does a lot of goddess work. He's very much about, especially his focus is on men working with the goddess. And it is so appropriate that his question is coming to you. So his question for you is, how do you know when it's goddess or when it's just wishful thinking? Um. Yeah, that's something that also experience can help you determine because it's not just, you know, like the hair standing up on your arms and you're feeling like this wave of energy because you can get that from believing you're going to get what you, you want. There's also, there's this uplifting of that feeling of, ooh, 
but then there's when the goddess is present, I feel like there's also a grounding and a, a solidity that is happening at the same time. So it's it's the feeling that that internally feels like like a pillar or a tree, and and so it's not just a um, like a fireworks or fireburst of excitement and and energy and power and uh, there's there's a groundedness and an organicness that that I learned to sense that makes me go oh yeah that's that's her. All right. So then, what question would you like to pose for a future guest? Well, I love to hear stories, so I would want a future guest to tell me their funniest tarot story, their funniest tarot experience, something that just made them laugh out loud when it happened or after it happened if they had to, like, control their laughter during the reading. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Well, Ellen Lorenzi Prince, I want to thank you very much for being willing to join us and share a bit of your insight as well as your process behind the the decks that you have brought out into the world, as well as your own evolution in life. Uh, And I do want to remind people that they can find Tarot of the Crone is at croneways.com, and the Dark Goddess Tarot and the Minoan Tarot can both be found at, is it Dark Goddess or The Dark Goddess? DarkGoddessTarot.com. All right. Well, thank you very much. Oh, thank you so much. All right. Hope to see you soon. All right. Thank you. Bye, Icy. Bye-bye. I will remind you that if you'd like to get a reading a little bit later in the show, you can get into the queue by Skyping in from the show page or calling 646-716-5510. We'll be back right after this. Let me inside you. Into your room I've heard it's lying It's the things you don't show Lay me beside you Down on the floor I've been your lover From the womb to the tomb I've been your daughter When the moon becomes round
are listening to Revolution with host Ticey Lutmers on Firefly Willows L-I-V-E. Find out more at Facebook.com slash Revolution with C. Hello, lovelies. This is Tino Kalenda, your queer astrologer, with yet another monthly astrology update. The word hurricane is the name given to nature's strongest storm. A hurricane occurs when high-pressure and low-pressure masses of air come in contact with one another. There is often a significant difference in temperature between the two masses. One mass is warm, while the other is cold. The warmer air rises and the cooler air falls. Likewise, the low-pressure area slides down the sides of the high-pressure area. They swirl in and around one another, creating the beginnings of the storm. This is from the word hurricane performed by Air, which was inspired by the 1999 movie The Virgin Suicides. So greetings, fellow psychonauts. This is how we will start September off with the Maelstrom. So a surreal September is upon us, and in the astrological sense, it's a tinderbox. I have much desired to state that there might finally be a month without any challenging characteristics. However, it simply is not the times we are living in. We are living in interesting times as the old Chinese curse slash blessing goes. The pattern which has dominated the current sidereal year has its foundations in the tumultuous Grand Cross back in April. It was there that the initial charges were laid and it was the first contact of the Uranus-Pluto squares inherent in the cross that depressed depressed the plunger and triggered the explosion. And the ensuing months were the culmination of these events. The current Grand Cross is now going to feel like a vast chasm, a crossroads of sorts. A cross to bear could be the dominant theme of the month. The overall feel is one of heaviness, a kind of urgent criticality emerging from both Mercury and Saturn touching off aspects of the Grand Cross, not to mention that as Mars traverses past the trajectory of the Grand Cross, there will be formed a tense T-square between some volatile frequencies. It is said that the highly volatile agents that are setting the scene for an irrevocable decision to be made at the intersection that will be a radical course correction. On the world stage, it could play out with a surprising direction that could go either way. The point is, it will be outlandish, seemingly coming out of left field, as Uranus is the focus of the T-square, as one of the more volatile arms of the Grand Cross. It seems appropriate, given the ongoing tensions in the Middle East and the Ebola outbreak in Africa, perhaps a surprising new direction for civilization will emerge from all of these crises, and one that may prove irrevocable and set the course for future development. Now, granted, it may not be as dramatic as shaking our global society down to its core, but then every decision of late has collective effects on all of humanity. This grand cross will drive this point home powerfully. 
Whether we decide to take the message of pale blue dot to heart and learn to finally share this planet and its resources equitably and in a way that maintains the integrity of nature's operating system, or we decide to move towards extinction remains to be seen. So stay tuned. Pay special attention to what religious authority does as it seems something big may blow up in that sector that could have far-reaching ideological effects that could inflame or calm current hostilities. Individually, it could feel like we are splayed on the Inquisition's rack, being pulled in four demanding directions, threatening to tear us apart at the edges. If the feeling waking up is one of exhaustion before the day has even put its wheels on, this might be why. It's a perfect storm of dynamic forces pulling at us all, and the only way out is through. And remember to stay in the still eye of the hurricane and not get thrown about in the maelstrom swirling before you. The forces involved are Pluto and Sagittarius, demanding an overhaul of our outlook on life and all of our institutions having to do with higher education and expanding visions. Legal systems are included under that purview as well. Individually, it could feel like a violent confrontation with the world's ideologies and being largely at odds with the current consensus reality. Pluto is lighting a flame under the proverbial ass of humanity as well as acting on a personal level, especially if natally Pluto makes aspects to any personal planets. Uranus scoring Pluto usually signals a tinderbox of events that can lead to violent confrontations with consensus reality. What is out of step is the link between what we observe and what we do. This tense aspect is calling for radical departures. Touching this off further is Neptune being in neutral reception occupying Aquarius, adding to the science fiction dreams so many of us are trying to realize. It's not made any easier with Mars in on the action demanding we act, and in Libra it signals a need to act on agreements that harmonize our disparate interests into a common framework so that we can create a civil commons, which allows us to assert liberties without unduly demanding others be trampled on. Mars gets thoughtful when in Libra and cleans up nice. He learns some diplomacy, but squaring Pluto does mean that an uneven social contract can be torn to bits once the shit hits the fan. Finally, Jupiter making aspect to this trifecta of malefics adds a magnifying glass to the whole affair, and being in the sign that symbolizes the people or humanity itself, Cancer, could mean that emotions are on a hair trigger, and seemingly small grievances could go supernova, making hostilities that seem contained explode out of their confines and spill over exacerbating current crises mode. The world is on high alert, and many of us are feeling anxious and tense in our own lives. A Mercury opposition to Neptune means that for a stretch, the voice of reason could get lost in the fog. It serves well to keep our wits about us in this swirling morass, and to focus on logical solutions as the irrational is a default setting under these transits. All of this is made even more weighed by the gravitas that two Saturn aspects touch off by making it all very real. The get real planet sextile Venus signaling an opening to deal with partnership issues and resource sharing issues on a global scale. Saturn will then sextile the sun when it makes entree into Virgo later this month, bringing reason and precision into the light of day, which could lend a helping hand in all of this explosive unpredictability. The sun will further form a trine with Pluto, making it easier to find a passion and pursue it. 
Perhaps at this time a viable solution will be found to vexing problems and it will be followed at full intensity. The trick to turning a seeming liability into an asset is to recognize that these selective pressures are catalysts that are pushing the living complexities into a higher state of functioning, including us. These are the challenges of our spiritual adulthood, and why are they, while they are daunting, in the words of Stuart Brand, we have declared ourselves gods, and we have to get really good at it. <laughs> no pressure or anything. On the lighter side, when we do come out the other side of these singularities, we are often better for it, stripped of unnecessary baggage and possessing clear vision on how to proceed Radical new directions are often taken and they lead to long-standing resolutions that often benefit the collective. It's a kind of phoenix rising from the ashes feeling. To highlight, there is a happier vibe to all of this. As the edges are softened by the presence of Venus and Jupiter touching off these tense aspects. Jupiter is currently in his exaltation, which puts him in a very happy place and ensures that he gets everything he could want. And Jupiter wants to play and to unite humanity in a living language. Venus wants to connect and through the earlier half of the month will do this dramatically and the warm, with the warmth of a day star as she finalizes her transit through Leo and into the more subdued sign of Virgo. Virgo will give Venus a little hustle and desire to sweat, to sweat plus a purifying element. If there ever was a time to wipe the slate clean in our relationships and let go of past grievances, this is the time to maximize that potential. Consider going to the healing waters and re-virginizing yourself as the temple priestesses of antiquity were alleged to have done. I truly wish I could say that September would be smooth sailing. Alas, it seems the ongoing intensities will continue to, to ensue. In large part, it can't be helped. We are living through times of transition, and these are the growing pains. I will see you all next month, Space Cadets. In the meantime, keep calm and carry on. Thank you for joining us on this show. Also, I do readings, so feel free to contact me via the Sidrealist website. That's www.sidrealist, S-I-D-E-R-E-A-L-I-S-T dot com, where I can be found under the Prometheus staff tab, which links directly to my contact info. I also have a Facebook page. That's www.facebook.com slash Prometheus in the Space Age. Please like my page, recommend me to your friends, link to my blog. I welcome it all. And I'll see you all next month.
And we have Watch all the stars align Light up the warning sign We can keep each other warm It takes me and you We can make it through We are the eye of this perfect storm You're listening to Revolution with host Heisey Lutmers on Firefly Willows L-I-V-E Find out more at facebook.com slash revolution with high C. I will remind you that if you'd like to get a reading a little bit later in the show, you can get into the queue by Skyping in from the show page or calling 646-716-5510. We'll be back right after this. And that later in the show is actually now for doing some readings for people who have called in. So we're going to go ahead and jump on to those callers. And I'm going to go to my first caller who's calling from area code 530. Are you there? Hello. Caller? Hello. Hello. Were you, were you calling in for a reading today? Sure, I am. Okay. Uh, what's your name and where are you calling from? My name's Donna, and I'm in Westwood, California. All right. And what is it that we can look at for you today for the reading? Um, there's, there's some things going on. Well, actually, your guest today, it's kind of interesting because uh, a year ago today, my son-in-law died, and um, my daughter's just uh, having a hard time with that. In the meantime, she's gotten with this other guy that won't even let us talk to her and kind of sequestering her away. And uh, I just kind of like to know where that's going and what I could be doing to uh, help her and uh, improve the situation or move on. Okay. So I just want to remind you and anyone listening, for me anyway, whenever I do a reading where we're asking about a third party, we always look at it in relationship to what we need to know and what, if anything, there is that we need or can do because ultimately they have their own choices and free will. Right. And that's exactly where I'm coming from. I need to know where I can put in whatever I need to put in. Right. So the card that comes up for you is called the Nine of Coins or the Nine of Pentacles reversed. And, you know, Pentacles is the suit of um, like tangibly doing something or taking action in the real world for something. And the fact that this card is reversed, meaning it's upside down, and I will say all three cards came up upside down. So that can show us that either there sometimes just reversals can be an answer that says no. Or not right now. So it may be that this reading is saying, don't do anything, or now is not the time to be trying to do anything about that situation. Um, 
plus the nine of pentacles reversed can say that you have tried to do things and whether that means you've given t material resources like money or just tried to take action towards that situation the reversal says we've probably done everything we can and now we have depleted our resources for what we may have available to offer it so we don't need to mm -hmm. continue to deplete ourselves in an effort right. to try to do something when other people involved in the situation are not doing anything to uh, change their situation or remedy their situation or um, what we might think would be better for the situation. So right. for, for now, I would just say to focus on yourself uh, and mm -hmm. do, you know, you can... Um, you can you can do things like reversals can be about internal and mm -hmm. uh, that can be saying that maybe you can just you know either offer prayers or light a candle or do something to try and help energetically support, support but not to physically do anything um, right, right, right now that would not be very constructive for the situation okay, okay. So hopefully that helps a little bit to just maybe yeah, just yeah, come to maybe just come to a place of acceptance that the situation is what it is. There's nothing you can do about it, and you can just a offer support from a distance, like with the prayers, candles, etc. And you right. can prepare. You can be prepared to be there if they reach out or ask for assistance. But for now, right. it's better that you don't do anything. Okay, that's that's what I need to know. All right. Well, thank you for thank calling you. in and uh, listening to the show. Enjoy your day. Thank you. All right. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. All right. And now we're going to, I think this is somebody calling in from Skype. Uh, are you there, caller, if you're calling into the show from Skype? Hello? Are you calling in on Skype? All right. Well, perhaps they were just listening to the show and then decided not to get a reading, but that's okay. So that's going to bring us to the close of our show. I want to thank everybody for listening. I especially want to thank my guest, Ellen Lorenzi Prince, for having joined us here today. Uh, I hope that you will check out her work, uh, The Tarot of the Crone, The Dark Goddess Tarot, as well as her uh, newly released uh, deck called The Minoan Tarot, um, which you can find information about croneways.com or goddesstarot.com. And you can always find me on Facebook at facebook.com slash revolutionwithhighc. I'm available for readings either in person or by phone, Skype, or FaceTime. And you can always contact me either through the Facebook page or you can email me, highc at tarotbyhighc.net. And I would be happy to talk to you about being able to set up a session and what that entails and find out what it is that I might be able to do for you. So thank you for listening. I hope that you will join me here again next time. Every second Sunday of the month is Revolution. So I will look forward to having you be here and join me for another show in October. Until then, I wish you blessings and surprises around every corner. Thank you for joining us. Revolution with host Ticey Lutmers, brought to you by Firefly Willows L-I-V-E. Find out more at facebook.com slash revolutionwithhighc. We hope you enjoyed the show. This is Deb Caracella. 
Please join us next time on Firefly Willows L-I-V-E for Evolve with Robin White Turtle Lisney. Thursday afternoon at 2 p.m. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.